Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, this is March. This is March, and that means we got to talk about some ACC football, right? John Rothstein here on the other end. You know, <laughs> this is March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ACC football time. It's almost spring practice time. It's actually spring practice time. A lot of programs already, but hey, we're uh, doing all sorts of cool stuff here. So. You know, yeah, who, we, needs, who needs spring practice, right? Hey, uh, spring games are the source of the least newsworthy news items you've ever seen. Um, which, you know, that just shows you how starved we can get for football. It's like, yeah, who's going to be the third string quarterback? It's like, who cares? You know? Yeah, who it cares? is a heated battle. Yeah, if you're, but, going, if you're down to your third string quarterback, you're worried about that in the spring, you have bigger things to worry about. Yeah, <laughs> valid. Uh yeah, there was a couple years ago when Georgia Tech played a spring game on a, on Good Friday night. Uh, it was, like, rainy and nasty and cold and everything. And there was a story that was created on Twitter that there was, like, 112 people in attendance. And everyone got, like, all, like, let's make fun of Georgia Tech over this. And it was, like, first of all, if you actually count on the screen, there's, like, several hundred people there, A. B, how many people show up to your spring game doesn't freaking matter, so whatever. Yeah, just ask UVA, because... <laughs> We've just been making fun of UVA for, like, 12 people showing up at their spring game uh, forever. Hey, props to those 12 people. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're diehards. Diehards for their 3-9 and nine Cavaliers. So. Uh, I've missed this. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a while since we've we've updated. Life has gotten real busy, and uh, we, we apologize for leaving you guys all without uh, ACC football-related content over the month of uh, late February and early March as... Nothing else has been going on in the ACC sports world, so um, just we're going to get you caught up here. We got a little bit of a news update and, and talk about some things that have happened over the last few months uh, since really since the season ended. We haven't done a good full uh, news recap. We've got a few more season recaps that we're going to be uh, sending your way, so stay tuned for those. Um, but for now, Mike, the biggest thing that's probably happened since we last uh, did a nice big news update, we had National Signing Day. We did. Are you, a, are you a recruiting guy? I am a recruiting guy, Joey. I like recruiting. You know, you get new players, replaces the old players. There you go. That's recruiting. It's recruiting in a sentence and a half. There it is. I, I was kind of struggling to quantify recruiting myself, but uh, I think I think that would do it pretty well. <laughs> how I, yeah, I was going to say, how'd I do there? <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, okay. National Signing Day happened. Uh, recruiting season all happened and all that. Uh, the big winner in the ACC was Florida State. They come in, depending on which service you're looking at, for the purposes of this podcast, we'll talk 24-7 sports, the composite rankings. Uh, Florida State comes in sixth nationally, leads the ACC, had 24 commitments, uh, signees, if you will, 
four five stars, eight four stars, a solid, solid class for Jimbo Fisher, as we've gotten used to. And the big, probably crown jewel of the whole thing was Cam Akers, Mike, the number two recruit in the nation, number one in Mississippi, number one running back in the country. He is very fast, and he's big. That's the analysis of Cam Akers. If you've ever seen him on film, he is unbelievable. He's going to be a big-time player for Florida State. They won't be missing Dalvin Cook very long because Cam Akers could get on the field very early, and I think he's a guy who could definitely make an impact for the Seminoles. They're very lucky they were able to snag him when they did. That was a huge win for the Seminoles. Uh, moving down, number 10, Notre Dame. Comes in nicely. No five-stars, but 10 four-stars on the year. Uh, pretty good haul. I would say, honestly, this is going to sound a little silly, but maybe one of the surprises, Mike, in the conference Number 13 nationally, the Miami Hurricanes. And I say that's surprising, not that it's a shock that Miami recruits well, but this is kind of a break in the norm from what we've seen over the last several years where they've been more in that 25 to 30 range. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, they've they always recruited relatively well, uh, but I think the Mark Richt effect is kind of what you're seeing uh, coming to full force here. Uh, you knew he was going to come in. He needed to recruit well off the bat. Uh, he seemed to have done a pretty good job in his first couple of years there at Miami, his second full recruiting cycle since he's joined the Hurricanes. And I think if you pay a lot of attention to social media and such, one of the things you're going to notice is that they're really putting a lot of emphasis on, and I'm going to have to like wash my mouth after I say this, but making the U cool again. Um, that's just phrases I didn't hope I was going to mutter when I woke up today, but um yeah, they're, they're really getting out there and trying to uh, build rebuild the brand after Al Golden did them no favors in that in that way. No. And they're, and they're also doing the thing that any successful Miami coach you know has ever done in recruiting the city of Miami really well. Um, a lot of lot of local talent in that class. So good stuff for Mark Richt. Uh, number 16 in the country was Clemson, and this was a really noteworthy class, Mike, because they only had 14 signees. They did not have a big class, just with the way the numbers worked out of who was leaving and who was coming back and everything. Uh, only 14 signees in this class, but nine four-stars and two five-stars, so they, they made them count. Yeah, and T. Higgins at wide receiver, six four and a half, one eighty eight, 188, jumps off the film at you. Um, a guy who can come in, potentially replace... Mike Williams, who, of course, is heading to the NFL. Um, you know, he had the big six-foot-five frame. T. Higgins is built exactly the same way as Mike Williams, and he's going to be a guy that uh, whoever the quarterback's going to be next year for Clemson will be able to throw to him early and often. I think they'll try to get him on the field early. Hunter Johnson was also arguably the number one uh, quarterback in the class. Yep. I think number the number two pro style, according to 24-7. Uh, but he was also a crown jewel of that class. What's weird is that not only do they have that, but they've also got the number one quarterback in next year's class in Trevor Lawrence. So uh, kind of some, some interesting maybe QB duels setting QBU, up. QBU, uh, man. Hey, that's right, I, apparently, uh, now that Deshaun Watson's gone there. Um, yeah, moving on down, number 25 nationally was Virginia Tech at 27 signees. Anyone in that class really jump out to you, Mike? Uh, they had 22 three-star recruits. Uh, now, the one guy who jumps out at me is Devin Hunter, the four-star safety. Virginia Tech absolutely needed to land him uh, coming out of this class out of Indian River High School in Chesapeake. Uh, Tech has historically, when they were at their best under Frank Beamer, recruited that area well. They needed to get back to that 
uh, to kind of build on the success they had this past season. So getting Devin Hunter, adding Nathan Proctor and Dylan Rivers at linebacker, and then Taiwan Garbutt was a nice late add to the class after National Signing Day at the defensive end position. Um, he's listed as an athlete. He played defensive end and receiver in high school, uh, 6'3", 215. He's going to be an edge rusher for the Hokies, it looks like. So uh, those are the four guys that uh, – you know, Hokies fans will be really excited about it. And then one other guy real quick, Terrius Wheatley, uh, the son of Mi- former Michigan running back Tyrone Wheatley. Uh, he's coming in as an athlete, 5'11", 200, three-star out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, spent a year at Fork Union Military Academy at the prep school, so uh, he'll be coming in and competing at the running back position as well. And Hokie fans should be excited to see him play, just given the pedigree um, from where he comes from. I will say, Mike, it- 25 for Virginia Tech. They're only the fifth ACC team, if you include Notre Dame, uh, in that top 25 recruiting rankings. And and that was surprising to me with such a strong season, a strong last couple of seasons even. this uh, Clemson's been a you know two-time national championship game participant, one-time national champion. Uh, a lot of just high-profile names and matchups coming to the ACC. And so was a little surprised they weren't able to capitalize a whole lot more than that. Um I, I don't know if you had any sort of take on why that is or what that means. Uh, it's kind of tough to, to quantify at this point. Uh, you look at, you know, the numbers that Tech got in this recruiting class. It was really interesting, just the not not just the quality of players, but the quantity of players. Um, I think that the one thing to evaluate when you're looking at Tech's class, just they had so many three stars. It was going to be hard not to put them in the top 25. Um, as far as what it means with the comparison between them and a team like Notre Dame, uh, it's tough to really, you know, fully understand how that's going to work moving forward. I think that the fact that Notre Dame's coming off of a down year, struggled a little bit recruiting, uh, you know, they, they've done a better job in the last few years rather than this past recruiting class. And I think this is the best recruiting class Tech's had in quite some time. So uh, it'll just be interesting to see how it moves the needle moving forward. Uh, if Notre Dame has you know, another really good year. If Tech has another really good year, let's see where they stack up. If Notre Dame's coming off of a 10 or 11 win season and so is Tech, let's see how Tech competes against, you know, teams like Miami, Clemson, Florida State. Can they get into that next echelon um, of the recruiting rankings in the ACC? They're right there. They have an opportunity to make that jump. They're just going to have to continue to build on the on-season, the in-season success uh, in order to have that translate into recruiting. Moving on, there's a, a little cluster of schools between 27 and 36. 27 is uh, North Carolina with 21 commitments. That, to me, is also a little low, not not necessarily if, you know on who they got, but more so like what we've come to expect from North Carolina and Larry Fedora. You have to wonder if the sanctions are maybe playing in there a little bit, kind of scaring some kids off. Uh, Louisville at number 32, again, I, I would have expected a little more with Bobby Petrino and that staff. We've seen better from them in the past. Uh, 22 signees, so there's no you know shortage of bodies there. It's just a quality thing. Same thing from Pittsburgh, 24 signees. They're number 36 in the country. Uh, coming off of a really strong year with a really good offense, I mean, I guess you got to think coaching staff turnover maybe had something to do with that. But those are three teams that had varying flavors of good years and yet couldn't really – capitalize into a, a next level recruiting class and I just wonder how that plays out over the long run I wasn't as surprised in North Carolina as I was with Louisville the fact that Louisville was able to compete with the, the upper echelon of teams in the ACC across the board all season long they of course blew out Florida State they were in that game against Clemson in a in a thriller there on that Saturday night in October uh, 
I'm surprised that Louisville didn't translate that into more success on the recruiting trail. I understand that there are a majority of recruits that they already had signed and ready to go, um, or not signed, but let, you know, um, verbal commits that were pretty solid on their uh, commitment to Louisville. I'm surprised the Cardinals weren't able to get a couple guys there in the later stages of the recruiting, um, the recruiting cycle there right before National Signing Day to kind of translate the on-field success onto the trail and get a couple more four-star recruits in there. But the fact they got 18 three-stars, three more four-star recruits, it's still going to be a strong class for Louisville. But, yeah, they were a little bit lower than I thought as well. From there, it's a pretty big step down. Uh, Number 46 in the country was Georgia Tech, uh, 25 commitments, only one four-star, but that was Bruce Jordan Swilling out of uh, Brother Martin High School in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, for those who might recognize the name Swilling, of course, he is the son of former Georgia Tech player and, and former Saints uh, star Pat Swilling. Uh, really, really good linebacker, should add a lot to that Georgia Tech defense, as should his brother Trey Swilling, also from Brother Martin in New Orleans. Uh, those two guys, high-end talent, came in and committed in August at one point, and uh, from then on, they kind of helped to build the class with some of the top-end talent, you know, calling up some of their buddies and trying to trying to recruit each other, which really kind of helped. Uh, Georgia Tech brings in a lot of top-end talent on the defensive side of the ball in this class, which is really, really going to be helpful. Uh, you have to go, I mean, I think it's like the top eight or nine commitments in this class were all defensive, which uh, is not necessarily surprising considering the, the offensive scheme, you know, and being a little more unusual versus what other guys might be looking for, but um, the big maybe the big thing to add moving forward is going to be some more interior defensive line talent. But um, might also be a few underrated guys in this in this class as well. Uh, we were talking earlier, and I I would tell you that in my experience, twenty four seven doesn't do a great job of covering Georgia Tech, but um, I don't think ultimately that's like a, a huge determinant of how their recruiting rankings finished. So um, number forty eight Duke just inside the top fifty. And then farther down from that, NC State at 52, 55 Syracuse, 56 Virginia, uh, 65 Wake Forest, 66 Boston College. Um, I got to tell you, Mike, between Wake Forest and Syracuse, I kind of expected a little more from those programs as they try to build themselves up and, and build some hype here moving forward. I'll one-up you there. I actually thought NC State would be a little bit higher as well. They had a really good recruiting class in 2016. They brought in Thad Moss, the son of Randy Moss. They had a lot of quality recruits in that class, a lot of three-stars, a few four-stars. The fact that they were able to get no four-stars in this class, 21 three-stars, so you add depth to your roster, but I think it's about time Dave Doran you know, kind of takes the next step with that program on the recruiting trail, translates that into on-field success. We've seen NC State kind of be a little bit mercurial, a little bit up and down on the field of late and I think that you know the more on-field success he has the better it'll translate to recruiting we've kind of you know seen a lot of inconsistency with that NC State program I was hoping they would pull together a little bit better class and then I'm with you with Syracuse and Wake Forest I understand that Syracuse is coming off a down year it's the first year under Dino Babers but that's a program that's definitely on the up and up and then you look at Virginia uh, Virginia's right where you expect them to be and then Wake Forest uh, you know coming off at the year they had winning record you win a bowl game uh, you nag 17 three stars, which is solid, but you've got to take that next step on the recruiting trail uh, to continue that on-field success and keep moving forward. I actually, Virginia's lower than we've gotten used to them. And obviously Mike London was probably a better recruiter than uh, than Bronco Mendenhall and his staff are. But, I mean, <laughs> that thing, you know, Bronco Mendenhall might be a little short for that job if, if 
uh, if they can't get some talent in there and, and coach them up any better than we, we saw so far. Um, I, if I'm a Virginia fan, I'm maybe a little bit worried here, just given the lack of track record, you know, from, from Mendenhall and that staff so far. Um, we thought I mean, he was yeah, a good we, hire too. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think he was the one that kind of came the most out of nowhere. Um, kind of a, a bit of a weird fit, but obviously a long record of success at BYU and not a whole lot of reason to think that he couldn't keep that up outside of the fact that Charlottesville, Virginia is a long way from Provo. Um, but I mean, beyond that, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see and kind of monitor that moving forward. Cause Virginia might be digging themselves a little bit of a hole here. Uh, and then, like you said, Syracuse outside of the top 50, I mean, ultimately that's not a, a, a death sentence to be 55th in the country. Um, especially considering they're basically playing for fourth in the Atlantic, if we're being honest, uh, for most years. So, you know, they out-recruited two of the three teams they're mainly trying to compete against, and they were ranked three spots behind the other team. So, you know, not totally uh, totally out of things, but, um, you know, could have stood to have done a lot better, I think, considering what they're trying to build there and, and the results that a similar system has seen elsewhere. Um, you know, Dino Babers between his time at uh, Bowling Green and obviously learning from, from uh, Baylor. Mike, one of the most fun things about recruiting is the weird stories that come out of, like, the signing day thing. Uh, did you have a particularly favorite story from this year? None in particular. I'm waiting for you to uh, to set yourself up here because I, I know what's coming on your end. Yeah, I was trying to go – I was trying to lead that in nicely, and, you know, that was the best I could come up with. Yeah. So. Uh, sh- shame for me. I'll, I'll try to get better next time. No. But uh, <laughs> or, sh- or shame on me for throwing it back to you like that. I, I, I can't blame you for that. That's right. Um, yeah, no, I thought the most noteworthy thing here, especially as it relates to the ACC, uh, had to have been the revelation that uh, Dabo Swinney is uh, sleeping with the mother of one of his recruits. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, um, but it actually turns out that one of his recruits is his own son. Uh, and so I believe he introduced him first by introducing the son's mother and as his like top recruit ever, which bravo Dabo, you know, make sure you keep the wife happy, happy life, happy life, the whole thing. I've learned that. Um, it's on his P's and Q's, man. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I feel kind of weird about like everyone, no one, you know, dating a recruit's mother. It's cool. <laughs> do what you gotta do, I guess, right? I mean, I say that and meanwhile, Ted Roof's son signed with Georgia Tech, so uh, kind of the same deal there that got overlooked a little bit. So, uh, yeah, lots of, uh, keeping it in the family here in the, uh, the ACC and the recruiting <laughs> cycle. Uh, okay. Uh, anything else, Mike, before we move on? I think we're good. Okay. Cause we got to talk about everybody's other favorite time of year, which is the NFL combine. Uh, the most highly covered and yet maybe total crapshoot of an event in the entire football calendar. Yes. Um, there was probably one big winner at the Combine coming from the ACC. And, uh, Mike, I think you're probably more more uh, equipped to talk about this than I am. Yeah. Uh, Bucky Hodges, you guys might remember him because he's like 6'7 and was really good at Virginia Tech. 11'2 broad jump, 39-foot vertical, and a 4'5'40 at the Combine, and he is 6'7". So... That will dispel the notion that he's going to be anything other than a late first, early second round pick. Some people were saying that Bucky Hodges could even fall to the third. I thought that was crazy to begin with. I think it's even crazier now given the numbers he put up at the Combine. 
tested extremely well. Guy's an absolute freak of an athlete. He's going to fit in very nicely in a high-powered passing offense. You can split him out to the outside. He's not going to be the hand-in-the-ground tight end. He's going to be more of a receiver at the next level, and he showed with a 4-5 speed that he's more than capable of handling that load on the outside. I think a little... Um, some of the teams were a little bit a little bit weary of drafting him just because they look at Bucky Hodges and are thinking, okay, well, is he fast enough to play outside receiver in the NFL? The answer is yes, absolutely. He showed off all of his athleticism at the combine. He's going to make an NFL team very happy when he's drafted here in April. Uh, yeah. First of all, six seven, eleven foot two, broad jump, four five forty. Uh, I don't. I don't know. They don't make them like that anymore. Like, no. good grief. Uh, that's, that's some freaking nature stuff. Um, so good on you, uh, Bucky Hodges. I thought, while we're talking about tight ends from the ACC, I thought David Njoku also put on a pretty good show. Oh, yeah. Um, out of Miami, obviously. He he was getting some, some of that type of attention here his uh, last season, but uh, really, you know, showing off 6'4", 246, um, and a great athlete along the same lines. So... I, I would not be surprised to see both of those guys go in the first round. Um, I feel like the tight end is starting to become a pretty sneaky, valuable position in the NFL. Um, and so that'll be interesting to kind of watch where those guys go. Um, other than that, you know, guys that still remain really high on draft boards. Dalvin Cook did not have, you know, a, a totally electric combine. But I think when you just – that's just purely looking at workout results is – 40 was about a 4-5. Uh, he got 22 reps on the on the bench. Um, three cone drill, perhaps most important, 7 uh, 7.27, you know, is okay. Decent, yeah. Nothing jumps off the page at you, which is, I mean, it's fine. Ultimately, the, the numbers aren't really as much as indicative of how good of a football player you are as much as uh, just your physical ability. Uh, currently on the uh, top of the NFL's draft prospects on CBS.com is none other than Mitchell Trubisky. Oh my God, Mitchell! Yeah, uh, yeah. As for if those I unaware, hate you enough, you started calling yourself Mitchell. Uh, I heard a really interesting discussion on the radio the other day. Actually, that I don't know that there are any. When's the last time you can think of like a really good quarterback that went by a, a name? I think that was longer than I think it was seven letters. John David Booty. I'm just kidding. You're just talking uh, first name. Um, and you also said really good quarterback, so that <laughs> that dispels Ben Roethlis, like, like there's a reason they don't call him Thomas Brady. Right. Or or Matthew Ryan, right? You know, like, well, never mind. We're not going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Damn it. Uh, he won MVP, Peyton though. Manning. Yeah. Mitch Trubisky is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're ending this conversation right now. Let's not do that. Uh, Mitch Trubisky tempting fate by lengthening his first name. Apparently that's what his mother calls him. And so, you know, all right. Yeah. I'm further, calling you Mitch. Yeah. Furthering the notion that he's not ready to start right away. His mother still calls him Mitchell. He's only played 13 regular season games and he makes horrible decisions when he's faced with crossing patterns by his receivers across the middle of the field. Let's keep calling him Mitchell, and let's further the notion that he is not ready to play at the next level because I'm fully entrenched in that camp at this point in time. I'm not sure I'm coming out of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's – I'm, I'm kind of starting to look at him the same way that I looked at Deshaun Kaiser here about a month or two ago, which was has some tools, can be really good, not ready right now. Yep. And if he's one of these guys that 
somebody drafts him in the top five and expects him to start next year at some point, it's a it's a real quick downhill slope and it's it's not coming back. So um, yeah, keep an eye out for that on Mitch Trubisky, Mitchell. Sorry, since that's what we're calling him now. Uh, meanwhile, Deshaun Watson remains at number two on draft boards, and people continue to express skepticism for reasons that are not clear to me. Um, someone said something about he played in a, a very simple uh, one-read type of offense. I, I mean, if that's if that's the biggest criticism you can give me of Deshaun Watson, then okay. Yeah, like I'll draft him right away. I don't really understand that at all. And that one-read offense looked pretty good against Alabama in back-to-back years, didn't it? He only put up, what, 500 yards in the loss by himself, and then, what, another 430, I think, something like that, 430, 440 in the second national championship game against what everybody was proclaiming as one of the best defenses of all time. Yeah, one-read offense. Let's not draft him. Give me a break. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a a defense that has, like, four players in the top 25 of this draft. Like, that's as much of an NFL defense as you're ever going to see a college quarterback play against, and he had no issues with that. He's make he can make all the throws. He's mobile. He it seems like he's got it between his ears. All this, I for the life of me cannot figure out why people are so skeptical of Deshaun Watson. I, I mean, he's humble. He's not run first. He's a pocket passer who can run. I, I hate when people characterize him as a running quarterback. He's a pocket passer who can run. His first read is never to run. It was never to run in that offense with Clemson, that one-read offense that everybody's criticizing. They're going to call him a running quarterback. He's a mobile quarterback. He can throw from the pocket. He can make all the throws all across the field. We saw it last year. He struggled a little bit. He was pressing a little bit at the beginning of the season. Look at the last six or seven games when Clemson was at their best, and you look at Deshaun Watson. What are you going to say? Okay, well, he had too many targets. He had too many weapons. He's going to play in the NFL with the best athletes in the world. Every team has weapons. Some teams' weapons are better than others. Let's see where he ends up before you criticize him for who he was playing with. How about you just judge him based on the passes that he makes in the pocket, his ability to run, his ability to make the right reads. That's all the stuff he did at Clemson against the best competition in the country, playing in defenses like Louisville, playing defenses like Florida State, going up in in the national semifinals, um, back-to-back years, going up against Alabama's defense twice. You know, let's let's hold off on all the criticism of Deshaun Watson. Quit finding ways to tear him down. Try to find ways to build him up. He was one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen the last ten or fifteen years in college football. So let's treat him that way until he proves otherwise. Well deserved. Um, Yeah, you talk about him being a a pass first guy and not a run first guy. I mean, that's that's the skepticism I think of a lot of these dual threat quarterbacks. Is they're guys who rely on their athleticism to make up for deficiencies they have in throwing the ball. Maybe Lamar Jackson's um, a good example of that. He's become much better of a passer, but I think he's a pretty good current example. I would it. agree, yeah. He's a guy that his best weapon is his mobility. And and there are several guys that come out like that, and, and when it push comes to shove in the NFL, you got to be able to throw the ball, and they just they can't ever get it down to, the, you know, to a level that is going to make their team a winner. That's the difference here with Deshaun Watson. And, I mean, I remember him going on a, a bit of a rant. I think it was maybe in the preseason or something that he, he got mad that people were calling him a dual-threat quarterback. And it's like, I mean, by the letter of the law, he is a dual-threat in that he can run. But he is not a conventional dual-threat quarterback whatsoever because his best weapon is probably his arm. Yep. Like, I mean, throwing the ball down the field accurately, uh, you know, conducting an offense that sure was – loaded with a decent amount of talent, but it's not like 
those guys were just constantly bailing him out. I mean, he 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 was the real deal. And so I, I'm real curious to see if, if there really is some some sort of hesitation uh, or if, you know, someone like the 49ers would take him at number two overall. And I think he could do damage in Kyle Shanahan's offense. I think he could you see too. Robert Griffin the third. Right. And, you know, he ran a four six eight forty. So, I mean, he's not the fastest guy in the world. I mean, he has good game speed. He's shown that he can make people miss in the open field. And Watson's a player that you're going to sit here and, and talk about his four six six or his four six eight forty, and you know you're going to sit here and say he's run first. I mean, there are a lot faster quarterbacks that you call run first that you'd take ahead of Deshaun Watson if that's what you were looking for. When you're looking at Deshaun Watson, you're looking at the complete package. He's got it as a passer, as a runner. He's got it between the ears, like you mentioned, Joey. I I have no hesitation in taking Watson whatsoever. Um, he's proven that. He's passed the ACL injury. If you're going to point, if you want to point to that from two and a half years ago, be my guest. He's proven he's gotten past that. Uh, you know, Watson's a guy who I think is the best quarterback in this draft. I'm not sure it's actually even close. Uh, if you had to pick one quarterback in this draft who you needed to start right away, I think it's Watson. But if you want to sit Watson behind somebody and have him have him learn the pro system, that's fine too. But if I had to have one quarterback in this class, it's definitely Deshaun Watson. Now, there's this one other guy that I'm thinking of, Mike, and he's not an ACC quarterback that if Watson were not an option, I might actually go to as my first choice. Pat Mahomes? Incorrect. Um... He's actually really, really good, I, I think, on field, and he has some off-field issues. Your uh... boy Swag Kelly, former Clemson <laughs> oh, quarterback, yeah. Chad Kelly, yeah. who is a He's a little bit of a loose cannon and a little, a little bit a little a little bit of a total disaster off the field. A little bit. But Hey, remember when he got in the middle of his younger brother's high school football game fight? Oh hell yeah. Thug life, swag Kelly. Out of way. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean all the gifts. All the gifts. Just if you're into that Johnny Manziel life, you can draft Chad Kelly. He's uh <laughs> he's a little bit uh little bit less of a loose cannon except that one yeah. time he had the uh the snapchat of him a couple days after a game rolling up weed on his uh kitchen table that was good oh let he who has not done so himself cast the first stone mike i see your snapchat no, i'm just kidding um, <laughs> Jeez, <man. laughs> um throwing, throwing fire over here that's a joke uh <laughs> yeah since you're talking about the freaking patriots um anyways yes. never forget okay uh, that's baby <laughs> Clemson wide receiver Mike Williams and Njoku, obviously they round out the top 25. Uh, Notre Dame's Deshaun Kaiser at 26 overall. Quarter uh, A Tankersley out of Clemson. The corner is number 37, number five corner on the board according to CBS. And I believe that that does it for ACC players in the top 50. Uh, a lot of guys coming from the SEC or from the Big Ten, as you might expect. Um, but the ACC well represented on the top of draft boards, so... A lot of good players uh, coming out of the conference. That's right. Yeah, um, we'll have to uh, we'll have to do some draft coverage as we actually get real news and not like smoke screens from random teams. Yep. All right, uh, let's go ahead and move on. We got uh, really important a, a a uniform update, Mike. As up in Chapel Hill, the Tar Heels uh, they are making the switch 
their uniforms moving forward for football will they will not have the Nike logo on them. They'll have that uh, that Air Jordan logo on them as they switch to Jordan brand uniforms. The ceiling is the roof. That yeah, that means something or other. I you know, <laughs> I don't know if anybody has like fully translated that yet into yeah. English. Yeah, the goat said it though, so you just kind of let it happen. When MJ speaks, you just shake your head and agree. Yeah, they uh, they made sure to make this announcement at halftime of a basketball game because if you're going to announce something about your football team, when you're North Carolina, where the hell do you do it except for a basketball game? You get people interested. Because so. people don't really go to the football game still. So <laughs> got to do it where the people are going to be. Really, I think the strategy here is just make the football team more like the basketball team. So maybe get people to show up that way. Make UNC football great again, Joey. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, yeah. They had a they had the legend himself, Michael Jordan, come out during halftime to make this announcement. He said some weird stuff. Nobody really knows what it means. Uh, but long story short, is the logo on North Carolina's jerseys is going to be changing next year. Uh, we also got this like really super awkward picture of Larry Fedora and Michael Jordan looking like they know each other or are like friends or something, and it it's real uncomfortable. You have to go it's, look at it because the football account tweeted it out. It's pretty clear they're they're not. So it's, uh, you know, they're like aggressively not making eye contact. It's an it's an awkward uh, awkward exchange there. Yeah, um, Mike, how do you feel about North Carolina wearing basketball brand football uniforms? Hey man, if they look cool, I'm down. I like that powder <laughs> blue, man. Like I like those uniforms they got. And I think the Argyle is actually a really great uh, a really great uh, what, what is that a uh, like an accent. Uh, is your wife around? She, might know. Uh, yeah. We're both engineers. Well, she knows more about visual design than I would. Right, right. Pattern, yeah. accent, something. Yeah. Well, anyway, they got this pattern that looks pretty cool <laughs> on their uniforms. Uh, it's called Argyle, and it looks cool. Usually meant for socks. Right. <laughs> right. I have a few pairs of those. I'm lacking. Okay. The moving. North Carolina, North Carolina fans, since I uh, since I so clearly love your program, please send me some powder blue argyle socks. Bonus points if they have a Jordan logo on them. Go Bulls. Heels. Yeah. Go heels. <laughs> yeah. If you send me a, like an autographed picture of Dennis Rodman too, that that will work. Yeah. Um, that's good. Get the bull ring. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Hey, North Carolina. Whatever you got to do to seem cool, the kids. That's that's what it's all about. It says. The Georgia Tech fan, as he counts down the days until Russell Athletic is no longer the sponsor of the it's program. Brutal, man. When are they going to dump that? Uh, I actually I have an update on that for you. I put in a Freedom of Information Act request You're with Georgia me. Tech for the contract with Russell. This is true. I did. Uh, <laughs> that is awesome. Absolutely. And I will be posting sometime in the next week or so. I said this like two weeks ago, but next week or th- Six on from the rumble seat.com. Nice I will be posting the full contract that Georgia Tech has with Russell and analyzing it and specifically telling you that it is over the uh at 11 59 p.m. on June 30th, 2018. We're getting there. We got a, we are about we're 15 gonna months it. away. We're gonna we're gonna make it. Yeah, God, that's horrible. I don't know anybody who uses Russell Athletic. I mean, people go to a Russell Athletic Bowl, I guess, if they're not any good, right? Right, North Carolina? 
right? And yeah, right. Wait, Miami? Look like <laughs> Miami? Mm, yes, Miami. Yes, that was this year. Yes. Last year it was North Carolina. They got smoked by Baylor. Yeah, um, I'm over here. I'm over here dropping bombs on Miami when my team, Virginia Tech, went to the Belk Bowl and spotted Arkansas. You know, three touchdown lead. So hey, but your team was not the one that participated in the Belk Bowl and also had a player suspended for stealing from Belk. So that's right. So take win. the victories when you get them. <laughs> Dear, should we get to the uh, uh, DeAndre Francois throwing a football over a frat house? Oh, geez, this did happen, didn't it? Yeah. First of all, do we know which fraternity it was? This is important. Uh, I'm not in a fraternity. It's more important for your sake. Um, do not, but that's what Google's for, Joey. So why don't you mm. set it up for the uh, listeners, and I'll do a little deep dive here. Yeah, so uh, viral video right around National Signing Day. I want to say it was within, like, three or four days. But uh, DeAndre Francois... I. I want to say it was the Pike House at Florida State. Um, it was. Pulling an, I don't remember what the guy's name is from Napoleon Dynamite, but pulling a, I can throw this football over the mountains over there, and launching a football over a ginormous fraternity house. Um, I'm starting to think, Mike, that, uh, that DeAndre Francois might be able to throw a football okay. He's not bad. Not a bad passer. Yeah, it was, yeah. Over, the, it was over the Pike House. So. All right, yes. See, I remember the important part of the story. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which frat was it? Yeah, that's that is the key. Info uh, there, man. Yeah. So, uh, if there's any receivers out there who thought that they could not be overthrown by DeAndre Francois, can you? I don't know. Outrun, out jump a frat house. What are we? How are we quantifying this? Um, I don't know. How can good you is cover your? More range? How good is your? Yeah. How good is your seven route across uh, the front yard against a co-ed? Right? That's <laughs> kind of what it boils down to. It's like, did you break how many, your ankles? How many, uh, how many beers are we talking before this? Right. Yeah, I mean, did you pull a Taylor Gabriel on Malcolm Butler? <laughs> did you? Yeah, let's stop. Appreciate that. that. Appreciate yeah, you're that. Welcome. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, sounds like a, a ridiculous bet. Um, last newsworthy item we got is, and I mean, at this point, we're just kind of making up what is news and what isn't, right. uh, Clemson defensive tackle Scott Pagano is tra- is going to be transferring out, drew a lot of interest from a lot of top-notch programs. Um, he, uh, he made, I think 38 tackles over the last two national championship seasons and he's from Hawaii. And so he wants to get somewhere closer. And so we'll... We'll see if that happens, I guess. Naturally, he's looking where, Joey? Oh, he's looking none other than South Bend, Notre Dame. Yeah. South, well, yeah. The state it's of South Notre Bend, Dame. Yeah. South Bend, Indiana, which is noticeably significantly closer to Hawaii than Clemson, South Carolina is. Good God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's going um, northwest like 14 hours and moving maybe two hours closer to home by doing that. Yeah. And he's still uh, very far from home, by the way. How big is the uh, South Bend, Indiana International Airport, Mike? Uh, it's a regional airport, has five gates. <laughs> so you have a pretty good idea. He's going to be connecting into Hawaii. Yeah, um, makes sense. I think Clemson might have a regional airport, but either way, he's two hours away from Atlanta, which will fly direct to Hawaii, so... 
hope that two-hour move was well spent, Scott. Um, the other places that he's looking at possibly visiting and, and going are places that are actually legitimately a lot closer. Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, and then Oregon, Cal, and Nebraska. Um, I didn't mean to pile in Nebraska with Oregon and Cal, but uh, it's just the those way places are... Yeah, yeah. It's, you know... I'm rusty. It's been a few weeks since we've done this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So a couple places on the West Coast and a couple places kind of in that like Big Twelve Midwest area, which sure it's closer, whatever, um, good enough. And uh, yeah, wish Scott Scott well. Uh, I guess Notre Dame is the only potential ACC relevant place that he might go. I, I I can't totally tell if there was a restriction there on all ACC schools or just ones kind of on the Clemson schedule for next year, but. He's got, uh, he's got one season left and uh, looking to finish up his career and drawn a lot of interest for it. He'll get to go play at a pretty good school, it sounds like. I mean, there wasn't really any slouch football programs there, all from major conferences, all assuming somewhere he can contribute. So good for him, 38 tackles over three seasons. I mean, it's more tackles than I have, but uh, it's not a lot. Of course, he was playing for... Clemson and they're loaded so understandable he wants to transfer and further his career yeah and who doesn't want a uh, 22 year old 6'4 295 pound defensive tackle yeah I'll take him take that every day um, so uh, good luck to you Scott Pagano we'll try to report back on where he ends up uh, Mike we got one more piece of uh, of housekeeping we got to do here yes are we you, do are, are you excited that we're going to be expanding our reach here a little bit on the uh, the old basketball conference podcast machine? We are, Joey. We're happy to announce, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a Facebook page. Hell yeah. It's about time that we have some sort of media other than SoundCloud slash Twitter with our 45 followers or whatever it is at this point. Um, hey, by the way, 45 followers, we love each and every one of you yes. in a very special way. Yeah, because you guys listen to us, which is great. And, yeah, Facebook will be good. Um, we're getting that set up soon. Uh, Promise. Soon Promise, yeah, before football season. Um, Mike, what what are the chances that we are announcing this specifically as a way to pressure ourselves into making the page finally? About 102%. But look, if we didn't announce it, we'd be sitting here resting on our laurels. Uh, we haven't posted a podcast for about a month. We felt like we needed to do that again, so that's what we're doing tonight. Uh, we're recording this podcast and getting that out. And now we're setting up a Facebook page soon, because if we don't, you guys will be looking forward to asking us where it is, blowing up our email, because that's what you guys do. Yes. Andrew Parker, the one emailer, My blowing boy. it up. My boy, Andrew Parker, asking us heated questions about Wake Forest. That was awesome. And you're getting a shout-out on this podcast. I hope you listen to this point in time. Still still the number one listener. Although, I think my mom still might be the number one fan. I don't know. Um, so, please send us emails. In all seriousness, though, we are expanding our reach. We are th This podcast is doing well for the first season. Um, I think we're moving along pretty nicely. We just need to be more prudent and post more often. That's what we're doing tonight. We're getting back on the uh, on the horse, on the saddle, whatever. That's what we're doing. So, Mike, it's all about that content. That's right. That ha sweet internet content. Hashtag content. <laughs> uh, yeah, find us on Facebook. It'll be Basketball Conference Podcast. Um, 
And so if you ever get bored, you know, watching the NCAA tournament and all their nonsense bouncy poops, uh, just go ahead and, and fire up the old, uh, the Facebook and find the Basketball Conference podcast. Ooh, no pressure. find our uh, football-related content. we got to make that tonight, it sounds like, because the, uh, the old tournament games start in two days, and we're sitting here. Hey, some of us, some of us have tournament games starting tomorrow, depending on which uh, tournament you're watching. Mm-hmm, yeah, go NIT. Hey, man, I got nothing bad to say about the NIT. Tech was in the NIT last year, and Tech might as well be Virginia Tech. That is, might as well be in the NIT this year. Because let's segue into that real quick. They got a horrible draw in the NCAA tournament. They got to play Wisconsin, and if they get past Oof. Wisconsin, they got to play number one overall seed Villanova. No, thank you. Oof. Yeah, bad draw, but. That's basketball. Uh, can you give me a reason to think that they'll make the round of 32? No, I don't feel good about the Wisconsin game at all because Wisconsin's very good. And, I, you know, Tech's had a good year, but they only play seven guys right now because everybody's injured. And their best big man is listed at 6'7". He's actually 6'5", and he has to guard uh, the big one of the Big Ten contenders for Player of the Year, Ethan Happ, who's averaging fourteen and ten, and is six ten. So mm. that could be a problem. And Wisconsin has two really good guards: Nigel Hayes, Bronson Koenig. They're both upperclassmen. They're good. They've been there before. Tech hasn't been there in ten years. Man, that is a dangerous team they got to face. It's uh, not. It's not good. That's a really good eight seed they're playing. So. Hey, the ACC well represented though. They got nine teams in the tournament. Uh, Wake Forest, one of the last ones in, got a play-in game. Uh, I believe it is Tuesday, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, so you know some good names in there. Uh, Syracuse just missed. They get the number one seed in the NIT, which is good news for them because apparently they don't win games anywhere that's not the Carrier Dome. So they're playing uh, UNC Greensboro, which is a story in and of itself. That's a whole. That's a whole. That's a whole story yeah. for another podcast. Yeah. Uh, Georgia Tech, yeah, first year under Josh Pastner, they go to the NIT. Uh, that's really strong considering I was one of many people that predicted them to win like two games in conference, if that. You and John um, Rothstein, who com- who proclaimed that they were the worst roster in college basketball, and they made the NIT. They almost made the NCAA tournament. They were probably two or three wins away. I I almost said that you wouldn't believe, but you probably would believe the tweet storm that Rothstein got every time Georgia Tech won a game this year in the ACC. Yep. Uh, and they knocked off some good teams, too. They knocked off Notre Dame. They knocked off uh, North Carolina. They knocked off Florida State. Uh, all at home. So, um, yeah, they'll take on Indiana. Actually, in a home game, even though Georgia Tech is the lower seed, apparently uh, Indiana's administration felt like an NIT game was going to devalue their arena. So... Bring it on down to Atlanta then. Maybe maybe they're devaluing their team with Tom Crean still being the head coach and they should consider maybe moving on from him <laughs> before criticizing other teams' arenas and devaluing the brand of Indiana basketball. How's this? Stop playing in the NIT, playing the NCAA tournament. They were preseason top five and they're in the NIT and they're going to talk about devaluing their arena. <laughs> Unbelievable. The freaking audacity of people. I can't believe it. That's that is so wonderful. Want to talk about I Mitchell Trubisky some more? All right. <laughs> Mitchell. Damn it. Talk about devaluing yourself. Um, okay. Uh, Mike, I think that does it. Can you? Th- are we missing anything else? Uh, not in this podcast. No. I think we're good. Okay. Kept it under yeah. an hour. 
We did keep it under an hour. That's good. Uh, we got some good off-season talking here. There's a lot of stuff to cover. We got it all, though. Um, let us know if we forgot anything. Hit us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. Send us an email. Uh, give us a you know performance review. Ask us questions. Let us know your thoughts. If you love us, if you hate us, whatever. We still need haters. Longest email address, no demand, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I stumbled over the address a little bit, so I'm going to go like five out of ten on that one. Yeah, I'll give you five and a half. Okay. You're yeah, selling, all right. yourself, selling yourself a little short. I, I, I appreciate the uh, the confidence. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on the Google Play Store, uh, just Basketball Conference Podcast. And as Mike mentioned, hopefully by the time you're listening to this podcast, you can find us on Facebook, uh, No Promises. But we're going to do our best, so go find us there as well and like us and subscribe and review and rate and share us with your friends. You know, anyone that is, is of ACC fandom, uh, bring it on because ho- uh, we, we talk about all of it. We're hoping that this is going to be a better avenue for you guys to kind of let us know about the podcast. I know it's kind of irritating to go on iTunes and you got to review. they got to click through all the stupid Apple shit. You can just go on to Facebook, throw us a comment. Tell us if you like the podcast or not. We'll post all the stuff there. Um, you know, maybe this is... You also a- don't have to be there the moment that we post it on Twitter either. Right, exactly. So you can see it on Facebook later on in the evening. If you miss it, uh, you can catch us. We'll still be tweeting. Um, we're trying to reach our listeners in the best way possible. Please continue to reach out to us on social media. We welcome the suggestions and whatever you guys got going you want to talk about, especially in the off season. Yeah, we got to keep each other entertained somehow. Mike, that that about does it. Uh, we're gonna come back here. We still got again, like I said, we got a few more seasons to recap. Uh, we're gonna do a couple of standalones and a couple of uh, just a, a big lump of the rest of them. I think uh, so. Keep an eye out for that. As you mentioned before, we've also got some uh, spring practice stuff coming up. So stay tuned. I'm sure there'll be all sorts of weird and uh, irresponsibly big news stories related to those things. So uh, keep it tuned here. I mean, yeah, spring practice stuff, always fun. <laughs> Somebody's third stringer and, you know, somebody getting hurt that's important, the usual. The takes will be hot. All I, right. I can promise you that. <laughs> always, always around here. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, Mike, appreciate it. It's been fun. Uh, let's do it again soon. Yep, sounds good. All right. For Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Until next time, go ACC.